Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Thou blind fool, Martin Atkinson. What dost football to thine eyes, that they behold and see not what they see? They know what a foul is, see where it lies, yet what the best is, take the worst decision. If eyes corrupt by Mancunian looks be anchored in the bay where all men ride, why of eyes falsehood hast thou blown thy whistle, where to the judgment of thou heart is tied? Why should thy heart think that Devoc wasn't fouled, when thy heart knows the wide world is watching? Or thine eyes seeing this, say, this is not, to put fair truth upon so foul a decision. In things right true, thy heart and eyes have erred, and to this false plague are they now transferred. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you vibrant, fleshy persimmon. On Sunday, Liverpool snatched a point against stubborn, mid-table battlers Manchester United amidst sickening chants from the, whole crowd, from the home crowd and the fug of a clearly biased referee to whom Shakespeare almost wrote the opening lines on Sonnet 137. My name's Owen, and in this episode you will hear from Reds around the world, Brian, Shane, Karan, Tivia and James from the football and music podcast Rabonas and Rhythms. Do check it out. As this was recorded about one hour after that moron ref had somehow managed to find the right end of the whistle to blow it for what we can only hope will be the final time in his career. I started by asking Brian how in the sweet heck he was feeling. Uh, I am feeling mightily relieved and uh, somewhat embarrassed of my hyperbole <laughs> on the last episode, my predictions for this game. I do it every single year. I think we're going to destroy them. And, uh, it happens, you know, the occasion, you, you can't get away from it. It's it's a big game. Um, so when that uh, when that goal went in, um, yeah, I was I was relieved. It changed the whole narrative of the season. Um, so yeah, relieved is the, is the feeling. It's a great it's a great uh, feeling, isn't it? I think your cat's looking at a replay of the Lana goal. It sounds like it's celebrating outside. That's excellent. There's a dinner party going on up above. Uh, they haven't celebrated yet. They, they're sort of talking in hushed tones despite the dinner party. Maybe they're United fans. We don't know. James, welcome to Cop On Podcast. This is your first time with us. Um, Brian says, yes, relieved. Uh, how how are you feeling? And, and, you know, how much does this change things, this result? Yeah, it's great to great to come on the podcast, first of all. Um, I echo Brian. It's, I'm definitely relieved, uh, especially watching the first half. It, it wasn't best we've played this season let's let's face it and um, I think overall for the season I'm not sure it changes too much I think if we'd lost that would have been a really important result um, and it would have really given City the you know encouraged them but the fact that we managed to pull it back I think the real most encouraging thing we can take from this game is that the mental strength uh, that we showed it's still there you know from last season um, and that confidence ability to come back in difficult situations um, but yeah, so I think that was really what I took from it. I think we've known for a while that the midfield, uh, they're such great workers, but we lack, lacked a bit of spark. So it was really interesting to see Lalana, um, Kaita and um, the Ox come on. And I think they really changed the game. Yeah, they did indeed. They did indeed. Um, uh, Karen, um, it wasn't the greatest performance though, was it? But, but how are you feeling? Are, are you feeling all right? I have mixed feeling, um, not just about the result, but the way we approached the game. Um, it, it, before the game, um, United, the United team uh, were poor, and um, on paper we should have really buried the game. But it's 
it's it's not just about the opponent it's about the atmosphere in the ground as well it's just something at at old trafford that club um, have never been able to secure points and i was worried about that because in the last seven meetings we've won one game lost one and draw the other four so i was i was hoping for for a win but um i'm not i'm not satisfied with the draw but i'll take it yeah, very good. Very good. But you know, had had uh, as James said, uh, Shane. I mean, you know, had had United held on, I mean, everything would have changed. No, we would be. I mean, I'm. I have to admit, I would be here, maybe questioning the wisdom of bringing on Adam Lallana. And I know that that's cheeky and that's wrong. Uh, uh, but I'm. I'm going to admit it that I am not his biggest fan but I, I I want that feeling to change and he's gone a long way to changing that feeling and things are changed and the whole narrative has changed um, Shane how are you? Hi uh, yes uh, thank you for having me on again oh I feel so mixed I feel so conflicted I uh, I really judging based on the attack momentum and periods that we had in that long duration in the second half and it felt like starting in the 80th minute we had turned the tides completely with our mentality to where I was feeling really down in the dumps kind of about the game but then once we reached that 80th minute 81st minute mark and everything it felt like we started playing with belief and I felt like we could actually go on and win a game so to come away with the draw is very disappointing I'll have to echo that with Karen I'm happy that it was only a point drawn um, but in hindsight looking back at that VAR uh, checking uh the var situation with divok um i felt like if it were if the roles were reversed it might have been called back so knowing that and then with lalana's goal and and everything else i just i just wish it was three points but it's not the worst situation in the world by any stretch of the imagination and I, i'm in good spirits i'm in good spirits overall but uh yeah you know it feels bittersweet would definitely be a cliche but uh appropriate well, I like it uh, as an answer. Yes, bittersweet, bittersweet. We could have played a lot better, but you mentioned there um, Divock was fouled. Um, and I was looking into Martin Atkinson. Call me telepathic or just call me someone who likes football and has seen Martin Atkinson referee football matches uh, many times in the past. Um, this is a free speech sort of uh, podcast, so please go to town, gentlemen. If you want to call him a complete joke, you can. If you want to call him a W word, you can. A C word, you can. An S word, you can. Go to town. I was actually researching him because I had a prediction that he would be incompetent. He's 48 years old, okay, Martin Atkinson, um, and he was promoted to a, a, a group uh, that was elected by the referees themselves called the Select Group of Referees in 2005. That's 14 years that he's been part of the Select Group of Referees. Um, and according to Wikipedia, which is the font of all uh, truth, um, it says that he has refereed a number of notable matches, including the FA Community Shield, the FA Trophy Final, the Football League Cup Final, the FA Cup Final, and the Europa League Final. What's missing from there is the Champions League. And I just wonder that, you know, does UEFA know that he's rubbish? Um, he gave, in just the first half alone, 10 fouls to 3 in Manchester United's favour. Um, I don't have the final foul count. I'll look that up for you now. Um, he made two defensive blocks in the second half for Manchester United. Um, and, uh, Brian, um, what do you think of him? Well, uh, using your, your, your words that you've permitted, uh, he's a, a flippin' woeful chap. <laughs> exactly. uh, wow careful careful i mean i said free speech what's your language <laughs> um oh, it's, it's difficult right i mean i know i mean i i think it's at one point it seemed like we weren't getting anything but you know if, if i analyze the game as a whole with the exception of his blocks that really annoyed me in the second half like just get the fuck out of there you know <laughs> um but in terms of decisions i don't think i don't think there was any really bad decisions against us. I mean, it looked like it, like I was screaming at the television 
many, many occasions. But when the, the replay came up, you know, like the handball, the handball, what, what can you do, right? That's the rule, unfortunately. Um, and uh, like if we were to lose that game, uh, for example, I wouldn't have said what well, we lost it because we were robbed on refereeing decisions. It was just more of an annoyance than anything oh, else. Sorry to interrupt, but what about the foul? Divock was fouled. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, technically he was fouled, but I mean, it it, it they had to kind of really uh, look uh, closely at that foul, and he yeah he got a tap on, on the on the leg. So yeah, you could say yeah he's fouled, but they're kind of given and they're not given, you know, uh, especially in open play, right? Um, and you could see from the get go. I think we missed it. I think we missed a trick actually because. Uh, I think uh, the referee sent his signal to the, to the rest to the uh, to the boat teams that he was going to let things go uh, early on in the first half, or he was going to try and let the game flow, you know. And uh, I don't think we we did the, 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 our game lacked a bit of intensity, and there was no nobody went out there and just put a marker on the game or put a marker on uh, like if. The, I guarantee you, if James Milner was playing that game, somebody would have been getting cleaned out or or somebody would have been going into the stands at least once just to kind of say, yeah, we're up for this. But, you know, as I think, you know, Roy Keane pointed out in Sky, like there were, you know, players were hugging in the tunnels before the game. There was kind of um, a very, like half of them looked like they were kind of at the beach that just lacked that kind of intensity that the Liverpool United game usually had. Well, that's interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Um, Karen, would you agree? I mean, you know, he, I mean, Brian's saying he's, he, he was bad, but he wasn't that bad. Martin Atkinson, I don't know. Would you invite him round for, for dinner, Karen? My place? No, never. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> I, I felt he was, he was biased in this game. Um, it really felt that way because um, if 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 you recall um, the the first goal, uh, Divock was surely fouled. But there there are two things that we can talk about here. Was that uh, was the contact significant for him to go down, or was um, you know the referee blind, um, or you know the VR you know why didn't they they account for a contact from behind mm-hmm. because. Lindelof was never going to win the ball. I agree that Divock had a hard touch on that, and probably uh, McTominay would have won the ball. But there was contact, and he went down. And you, in like um, it was uh, been mentioned just earlier that in in open play in such situations, not all the calls are given as fouls. So it can go either way. It can either be given as a foul, or it cannot be given as a foul. It just depends on what the referee sees. And in this game, that the referee had uh, the final call because if if the referee says that in my opinion it's not a foul, VR cannot overturn it. But I was kind of hoping it does because I think it it was uh, a foul. Um, but and also the the uh, the goal that was disallowed, um, Mane. Um, yes, it was handball, but it was not intentional. Um, in such situations, when you're trying to control the ball of your of your thighs. It can either go to your left, to your right, or to your front, or you completely miss the ball. Four scenarios. And in this case, it went a bit to his left and hit his hand. Um, when, when you are sort of um, trying to control the ball in the air in, in a certain height, it, it's quite natural for your hands to you know, wander around um, you know, for, for balance and for, for the leap. And uh, in this case, that um, it, it, it was not... Uh, predict that you know um, the ball was controlled by his hand, but the rule says that um, if there's a conduct with the hand and it leads to a goal or it eventually goes into the back of the net, it is mandatory for it to be ruled out. And um, in this point, I was happy with VAR, even though uh, I want the best for my team and the goal should have been ruled out. But only in this case, the VAR's decision was was correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, that that's something that changed. Uh, a bit uh, earlier in the season, uh, for people who 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 didn't know, like me, uh, the IFAB, the International um, 
I don't know, rules guys, uh, confirmed at the beginning of the season that goals scored or created through accidental handball will not be counted. So that's very clear. You're absolutely right, Karen. That was one decision they got right. Um, looking at the at the total foul count, it was um, apparently Manchester United only committed six fouls in the whole game. Mm. And Liverpool conceded 14 free kicks 14 fouls. Uh, Shane, you're a referee sometimes. Uh, I'm be am I being too harsh? I mean, I wasn't the one who called him a, a flipping woeful per guy like Brian did, so sorry for Brian's language. How would you sum up his performance? Yeah, um, thank you. Um, I I have to agree with you. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that like he, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or peddle around anything saying he has like, you know, he's been paid or that he's you know, um, or that he has anything against us in particular. I mean, I don't know, maybe, but I, I mean, apparently, apparently he's supposed to be professional and that he is supposed to, uh, act in an ethical way with unbiased, but, uh, I don't know, maybe it was just the old Trafter crowd or something. I don't know what it was, but the fact that we're even talking about it this much shows that it was just such a big point of contention that his performance did matter that much and it did detract from the game. I was I was often screaming at the television because it seemed as if any sort of contact Liverpool could have made. I mean, there were times when our players merely like moved around or like uh, swimming isn't the word, but they 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 scooted around them. And then if there was any sort of shoulder being rubbed against, it seemed like that could have been a foul as well to him. So I just don't I don't really get the sort of discrepancy in terms of uh, the severity at which he would give a foul for one team and which he wouldn't for another. And looking at it right now, six fouls, that is far too little um, for the way United were playing, which they did play a very high, aggressive, pressing game against us. Um, whenever we would get into their final third, they would line four players up at the top of their third and then four other players directly behind them with plenty of space in between, but then they'd have... Um, they would press out so that way they kept pushing our wingbacks further and further to the sideline and it would create risky crosses. So hats off to Oligona uh, uh, Solskjaer, Gollum as he's called on Twitter, for uh, for kind of developing and disciplining um, or coming up with the disciplined manner in which to execute those tactics. But going back to the referee situation, I, d I did think the performance was wrong. I yes, the VAR decision in light of the new rules, which the new rules are are kind of ridiculous about handballs, but in light of the new rule change, they did get it right with Mane's goal. I will concede that, fine. But I still think they got it wrong. Uh, I still think they got it wrong with the Divock situation. So yeah, it's really frustrating. His I tried to ignore his performance, but it was so hard not to because he seemed like his influence on the game was much bigger than what a referee should be. And that's how I feel about it. Well, it's a very fair answer. Thank you. Tivi has joined us. Great to have you on. Tivio, um, I want to ask you, go get you straight in here with uh, talking about the positives because statistically this is, you know, it was <clears throat> looking like we were heading to our second loss in 48 games. But actually, we've only lost once in 48 games. We've collected, I believe it's 125 points from the last possible uh, 147, uh, 144, excuse me, 125 points out of 144. Tivia, this team is, it's still brilliant, isn't it, Tivia, this, this Liverpool team? Um, how are you feeling after it? Are we going to win the league? And give us the positives from today. I think this team, like, definitely we weren't challenging for the titles, like, if we consider the team, like, four or five years back, you know, but we just have to give credit to club and also the team, you know, that we worked our way to where we belong now and fighting for the title makes us, like, makes us, makes other teams to be afraid when playing 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 against us. So I think we have came we have come a long way since then. I think that's the positive thing and I think today's match I have no words to say because I think most of the decisions it went against us. You know, I think I don't know, even for a silly call I think the ref gave to the to the United, but not to us, you know. So I think 
I think, as you say, he's more biased towards them. I think uh, it was a terrible game from us also. And then we turned up almost at the end, which actually we managed to get a draw. So, yeah, I think that's the only positive thing. I think the last few minutes was the only positive thing that we can take away from this game from this match tonight. Yeah, great answer. Excellent. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Absolutely. Um, James, what what are the positives for you uh, from this match? Um, well, as, as um, I think I mentioned before, I think definitely the, the mental side of it, the fact that they, they really, they were able to come back um, just because they've been on top in so many games this season, it was really encouraging just to see when they are under the the cosh, as it were, they're they're still able to to have that kind of confidence and to grow into a game, um, and the fact that you know you've got to give Klopp credit for the way that he he did bring on the three midfielders, I did I did think it it changed changed the game, gave more impetus, um, so those those are the positives I think for me, um, negatives perhaps you know the fact that I felt like um, they did kind of close down our our fullbacks. Um, and that was something that, you know, is a bit of a concern, I think, for going into to, to the season. Well, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, other teams could certainly try that tactic. But uh, but you're right, you know, it's very interesting, the substitutions, uh, James. I mean, I'm going to stay with you on this one. But, the, yeah, the substitutions, um, what did you make of Henderson's performance? I mean, he was he was replaced by, by Chamberlain, right? Um, so uh, what did, what did you make of that? I mean, both Henderson and Chamberlain today. Yeah, I thought I thought the Ox was really good. Um, I just looked at their their passing accuracy and actually, so Henderson and Wijnaldum combined um, it was sixty one accurate passes, and actually Keita, Lalana, and and the Ox combined when they came on. So that was only for the last sort of twenty five minutes or so. Already had forty five. So I I think that they were really able to just. Yeah, I think Lalana does that. You know, I, 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 you, you mentioned you're not, you're not a fan, and um, yeah, I think he has his his shortcomings, Lalana, but he does really link the play really well. Um, and Henderson is such a great worker, um, but I think that you know Lalana and the Ox really are able to kind of have that drive that we that we are lacking. I don't think there, are, you know, we still need someone creative in there for me. So, you know, a really world class creative player. That's something that. You know, perhaps for next season, we we need to improve. Yes, uh, he's an interesting player, Lelana. I don't want to be too down on him. Looks like I don't want to be too down on anybody uh, in a Liverpool shirt because he was absolutely fantastic to get on the end of that ball and you know rescue a point with us. It could be a huge point uh, for us, um, but I just think it's interesting to talk about him. What's your take on him? Uh, Shane, what do you make of uh, what do you make of Adam Lalana in general, and and you know today? Yes, um, so I will come out and lay out my bias uh, right from the start of this, so everyone knows where I stand. But I personally uh, have been a big fan of Lalana since the 2016-2017 uh, uh, season. I uh, when he was at like I guess for at that point in his career that prime spot he was connecting play really well he could put the ball into the net he could score goals and he was really influential in that midfield and since then since the injuries there's been all this talk this narrative this push that the midfield has evolved past him that Liverpool has evolved past him as a player and that he might be better off going back to Southampton or something of the like now his qualities and his control uh we were were clearly on display uh, today. He, uh, he's been working very hard. Klopp has, has instilled belief in him, and he put in a performance today that we can all be very, very proud of. I mean, he, when he came on, uh, he had a pass accuracy uh, total of 75%. That was just from 12 passes, and uh, he was just great at getting the ball and then turning it upfield. Um, so yeah, I was, I was very, very happy with how Adam Lallana played. I mean, honestly, he came out there and he seemed more confident than most of our starters uh, at the towards the beginning of that first half. So he didn't seem to be phased or affected by the game at all. He took it as an opportunity to show that what he can do. And I think if there's anyone who took the game by the scuff of their neck, maybe one hand uh, was uh, Adam Lallana and the other hand was Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain because uh, they really were able to liven up the entire uh, 
uh, game with the Hawks having a pass accuracy of 81.5%, per, 81 according to whoscored.com. Um, yeah, uh, I'm still, as I mentioned earlier, I'm still feeling that sting because between uh, Adam Milana and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I really felt like we could have had a winner pulled out, but uh, I'm all the more happy for Adam. So, yes. Great stuff, and it's lovely to hear the stats as well. Chamberlain and Lalana, um, Karen, they, 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 they came on, they changed things. Lalana, post-game, said that, uh, you know, that's the role of the substitute, to make an impact. That's what Klopp said to him, and he certainly did. Chamberlain too, uh, and what did you make of Naby Keita as well? All three subs. What do you, what did you make of them all, Karen? Um, when Lalana was introduced, I was sort of hoping that Milner would come um, in and place of him, um, but but I was like, okay, Lalana, sure, let's see, let's see what he's got, and uh, I'm sure Klopp has a reason uh, to send him instead of Milner, and I was uh, I was thinking that maybe. The next next substitution would be Milner to bring that, um, you know, just sort of uh, attack from the left hand side or something like that. But uh, I was quite pleased to see um, uh, the impact of Lalana and uh, and Chamberlain because um, it, it was it was uh, quite evident that uh, during the game that uh, uh, we were not able to you know our fullbacks were not able to put in those. Uh, this crosses effectively from the from the position that we've seen um, in all the games throughout the season so far, and it was it was more like Trent was trying to put in crosses from 40 50 yards out uh, into the box, and uh, most of them were ineffective. And when when Lalana and uh, Chamberlain were introduced, um, uh, Lalana was sort of playing uh, in a wider position and. Chamberlain was a bit more central and trying to influence the game, and that allowed Robertson to cross it into the box that led to the goal. So I think if if that substitution was made earlier, we could have even had time to score the winner if if we had scored um, early on after those two uh, players had come in. And um, it's nice to it's nice to see uh, Kera gets minutes as well. Um, I want to see more of. Uh, Kaitan or Chamberlain uh, in the next few games um, because there are so many games coming thick and fast. We can't just rely on a default starting 11. We need to use the entire squad. Um, so game per game, let's just use the midfielders that um, we think or clock things that will be effective. Just like in this game, um, you would expect um, if Salah was starting, then Origi would come on uh, towards the end of the game. Um, maybe someone, uh, Oxley Chamberlain or Milner or some Gomez uh, would, would uh, you know, sort of rotate the players and keep the legs fresh. But I was I was surprised to see these three players coming on. I was happy with the impact and uh, um, yeah, I'm just I'm just glad that we uh, we scored the goal. Otherwise, if if uh, the stats say that we were in control for most of the game. The first half was scrappy, but the second half we got more control. And if we hadn't uh, secured a point, then it, it would be uh, a really bad performance. But I'm really glad we got the point. Uh, yeah, great answer. Great answer. You're right to bring up uh, some of the stats as well. I mean, you know, there were, there were tons of them at our fingertips, the wonders of modern technology. We had six shots in the box in in the Manchester United box, we had six shots. They only had three in our box. Uh, the total shots in total for them was seven. Uh, they had two on target. Uh, we had ten shots in total and four on target, but six of them coming from the box. Um, Karen mentioned Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, and before James mentioned the fullbacks, and we, other people have mentioned the fullbacks. Brian, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, back at the ground where he made his debut, famously, he got two key passes. And if we compare that to our last match uh, against Leicester, he got five key passes. Um, Andy Robertson also had two key passes. Um, United did well, credit to them, uh, for, for their shape. But still, I think uh, we deserve to actually win this match, Brian. Am I, am I just a blind, biased Liverpool fan? <laughs> um, I don't know. Perhaps I, 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 I um, ah, 
I, I just thought we'd find a way to get a result, but I thought the performance was pretty dire for a lot of the first half. I, this is just my perception. I thought the, the big thing that we were missing today was bravery on the ball. We, 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 we moved the ball side to side too much. We, we, in order to, I think, um, putting the ball out wide was just such an easy option. And I was kind of screaming at them to kind of turn back and go through the middle. Um, yeah, I just think it just lacked the whole, I mean, the only way they, 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 they were so compact and they took the speed out of the game. As you say, you have to give United some credit there because old whiskey nose was on the training ground during the week. So probably it was him anyway. And, uh, they managed to take uh, a lot of the steam out of the game. And in, in those situations, I, find, I think that, you know, you need to take chances, you need to take risks. Um, and we just didn't do it until uh, the goal went in, our goal. And then suddenly, uh, I mean, I was up on my feet. You could feel the energy. The ball was zipping around. There was a zest to our play and players were, were like taking a chance. It was almost like, you know, they switched the lights on. Um but, you know, we, we controlled the game, you know, for the majority of that. But if we're control is no good, if there's no threat, you know. So, I mean, I didn't feel like we threatened their goal at any stage um, until, you know, uh, finally we got the goal. And once that happened, it, it was amazing uh, the difference. I just don't think we we didn't. Uh, we didn't affect the crowd. We just made it too easy for them, I think, just to kind of coast. I mean, they played well, but we didn't uh, lay a marker down or do anything to make that crowd nervous until the goal went in. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Bravery on the ball. I thought Cater showed a ton of it when he came on. Um, you know, his... He, he was only on the pitch for 10 minutes, but, you know, vertical passing and, you know, trying to control the ball in, in tight spaces. Uh, one highlight of the first half with Jeannie Vijnaldum, that little jiggery-pokery thing he did to get away from two or three Man United midfielders. That was beautiful to watch. Uh, but, um, Tivia, the midfield now, I mean, going forward, would you... You know, would you like to see more of these players, Cater, Lalana, um, and Chamberlain, uh, or you know, do you still think that Henderson, Fabinho, Vinaldum will probably end the season as our first choice? What do you reckon, Tivia? Well, uh, as I said, like on the first or second episode of this podcast, where if we want to win this title, if we want to challenge City for the title, I think this is the time this season that our midfielders have to step up because we had none stepping up for us from the midfield last season. It was solely, we solely depend, depend depending on our fullbacks and also and our forwards, but none of the midfielders were impacting our game and also had the strikers to score goals or even you know, even our midfielders were lacking of goals. But whereas you see City midfielders, I think they have scored more goals than us, than our midfielders. So I think the problem for Liverpool, I think, is just, is just the midfielders, you know. Sometimes we are playing with two defensive midfielders, which I don't think necessary for games like this, where we should be more in attacking mindset, where we need more... Uh, midfielders who for like attacking minded and also will will connect the forward and also and also the midfield. I think I think whenever Fabinho uh, Fabinho is starting, I think the midfield is fine. But whenever Genie and Hendo starts, when there are the problems begin. Today, I think Hendo was playing in the right wing, and I don't think it suits him. Sometimes Hendo does leap Leave and uh, uh, leave and uh, leave up to the height, but sometimes he doesn't, and, and also goes to Genie. As you can see, he plays so well for his national team, but I don't think you know. Maybe I think we have to give chance to off off and also cater because 
today we have seen what kind of impact they could bring to our midfield. And I think we should just, you know, not stick to our this midfield. I think it's going to cost us in the end. But if Klopp goes for this, I think he has a reason for it. But I think if we have to step up our game, I think it, it all depends on our midfielders. I think we should just change to either Ox comes in, Operator comes in, you know, but we cannot be playing this midfield as content of Fabinho, Gini and Hendo all the time because we are getting exposed in the midfield all the time because teams are able to go to us in the midfield and as United play, as United did today, you know, and also other teams will manage to do that. And I'm afraid that if we, if club plays this midfield against City, I think we are going to get smashed. I think we have to attack from the midfield also and nobody is doing that. So, yeah, that's the problem for us. So, I think we have to change the midfield. Maybe, yes, yeah, I said, either Ox or Keita comes in in the place of Hendo or Jimmy, but remain Fabinho there because he is the one to connect the midfield and also the defense. So, he comes comes to things down. I think it's just the other two that we have to keep on constantly changing. So I think, yeah. That's a great answer. Um, yeah, very interesting. That's it. That's your take on things. I mean, a couple of questions come out of that answer for me. Um, uh, Karen, I mean, it's Henderson. Does he have to look over his shoulder now for his, for his place in the team, Karen? What do you reckon? Um, I think... Um, Henderson has been playing in uh, Trent's role lately. Um, if you see uh, in his heat map as well, that he's covering the wide areas on the right-hand side. That's normally where we see uh, Trent. Um, I think if, if he really wants to uh, check over his form, then I think we need to switch back to troll where Trent uh, occupies the wide position and Trent covers him. Um, in the midfield, or we rotate him, give Chamberlain a start, um, Kedak, um, and use the squad effectively. Um, but I'm not, I'm not um, upset with his performances, but I think that they can be better. Um, if if he has if he has to improve something, then I think it's one would be his crosses, which are, most of them are overhead. Um, I would expect Trent to be um, behind the ball in those situations. Um, and another thing is that, uh, like Tivia spotted, was gold from midfielders. Um, are we? I'm not sure if we are relying totally on our forwards uh, to score goals, but if we if we want to be as effective in, in in games like this as we are, then we need our midfielders to step up not just um, you know make an impact uh, from the bench but if you're given a star then make sure uh, you're not just linking the defense and the attack but you're also contributing to winning games um, so i think i would like to see more of that from from henderson as you've seen in in, in few games that um, he's missed few sitters uh, he could have scored uh, one or two goals or maybe more i'm not sure i've uh, lost count but um, i would i would see more of that what we saw from Chamberlain, you know, with the shots going, uh, almost scoring goals, Lalana getting a goal. So I want to see more of that from midfielders. Take the pressure off our uh, forwards to to score goals and share the load equally. Because if if you don't do that, then we're going to be completely dependable on Salaman and Firmino to create magic when when the goal uh, when the score is zero uh, zero or we are one one goal behind or two goals behind or whatever. So I don't want that to happen. So I think I've spoken about this uh, for quite a while, and TV also just mentioned that we need a midfielder to score. Mm. So I want to see more of that from Hendo. Fair enough, yeah. But but if we if we do want more drive, more creativity, more goals, more assists from our two number eights, if you like, um, then will that not have a knock-on effect? Who, who could I pick on? Shane! Well, that not to have a, a knock-on effect with the lack of cover for our fullbacks when they bomb forward. Yes, I do think there is a tug or a conflict tactically 
uh, whenever we do have uh, our more defensive midfielders in the form of Fabinho and Henderson flying forward with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew uh, Robertson. And so I do think there is a sacrifice there. And so <sighs> Henderson does offer us a lot in uh, in defensive quality and the way that he can win balls back and the way that he can aggressively make tackles and get the tempo up and make some very, very quick one-two passes. Something I also just want to bring up again, between, uh, according to whoscore.com, between Marcus Rojo, Harry Maguire, and Victor Lindelof, and Juan Basaka, they had a total combined number of 21 clearances. So I do believe that the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer set them up, um, or their, rather their coaching staff set them up, whoever uh, was tactically assessing us and analyzing uh, how we go about our business, uh, between that and their defensive effort, I do think this question or these, or these questions that we have about what we sacrifice going forward with some of those midfielders or if those midfielders don't offer us the same sort of qualities, I really do believe that you have to give some onus to how they performed defensively. Um, yes, to use a, an expression, we weren't clicking in our highest gear. I wanted to ask you, Owen, and I wanted to ask everybody else, do you think Allison Becker should have possibly done better when it came to Marcus Rashford's goal? What, what does everyone think of, uh, of his effort? I think it was difficult, shall I say. It was a really good cross by James. Um, it's coming into the box so quickly. I'm not sure he could have done much more, to be honest. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that was a goalkeeping error. It was it was it was it was a good cross. It's a shame that they got to that part of the pitch and been able to cross it, but I wouldn't blame Alisson though. I I feel much the same, yeah. So I, I yeah, I don't think he's you can really blame him. Uh, for that it was very quick but yes as James as you say I mean how could they get there scandalous VAR I'm tired of this clear and obvious mistake nonsense is it a foul or not if it's a foul give the foul if it's not don't I was just going to completely agree with you and say that it's, it was almost like a rod for their own bat that they've created with VAR and it's not interfering if it's not clear and obvious because it just makes the, it just seems to make VAR seem inconsistent um, and that's exactly what they're trying to avoid and and uh, it's just a real shame I think because I, I, I'm not against VAR I think that it, sh it should be used should be introduced I just think it's just been really really badly handled this season and it, we could see it disappear for that reason. When I was watching the first and uh, uh, game, you know, I think when we're someone challenged uh, the other four on the penalty box, you know, you can clearly see that that someone's leg was hanging on the air and it literally like pulled back the other four, you know. I, I my father was like, what in the world if it wasn't was given a penalty there? And they even checked the VAR, and and even same goes to yesterday when when De Bruyne was called. I think you know I don't know what's the point of VAR if you know they can't get it right all the time. And I don't know, man. It's just shit. I think I think all the other leagues they have been using it correctly, and the decisions are made. You know, overturned sometimes, and after considering the way, but I think in here in Premier League, it's been it's just a first season here. Yeah, I think it's been so shaped, and it's just eight games where the VAR has been so shaped. All right, so let's move on from VAR and the incompetence uh, that hopefully will get ironed out soon. Let's be, you know, let's be believers, uh, not doubters. Um, uh, yeah, so it's been four years of Jurgen Klopp um, and we haven't spoken enough about the manager. I thought his substitutions were superb today and that they changed the game yet again. Yet again, we came back from a, you know, from a goal down to, OK, we got a point. Usually we come back and we win. This is the kind of stuff we've gotten used to under his tutelage, under his stewardship of the mighty mighty Liverpool FC uh, but I think James you've got some funky stats for us or something you've got something you want to share about Jurgen Klopp and his four years yeah definitely um, I actually it's it's from an article I saw in the Guardian this week but it was just it's a really great time obviously four years of Klopp uh, we've just played Manchester United it's a great time to look back and 
compare and contrast. And the, uh, the, the, uh, the title to this article is Manchester United must be tempted to look at Jurgen Klopp and wonder what if. Um, of course, I mean, if it's, it's incredible. I mean, I was excited when Klopp joined, but I, I would never have imagined, to be honest, in my wildest dreams that we'd become, you know, pretty much the best, best team in the league. Obviously, Manchester City, uh, you know, I, I, along with Manchester City. It's really, it is, it is brilliant to see. And um, I just was really interested to, to read that uh, it's of, of that squad, so when Klopp arrived at the club, uh, it's James Milner, Lalana, and Divock Origi are still at the club. Um, and, you know, without kind of noticing too much, there's been a, an amazing kind of overhaul of personnel at Liverpool. And if you look at, if you compare the kind of incompetence of recruitment that's gone on at Manchester United, let alone, you know, obviously all the, the managers that they've seen in the last four years as well. Um, it's just, it's just uh, great to, to, to be a Liverpool fan right now. It's just... You know, um, I've been a Liverpool fan all my life and um, can honestly say it's it's the best time. Even, you know, obviously the Istanbul and all that was, was fantastic. But I think the team now is just so good. I've never been used to supporting a team that's that's actually really good. I've been used to supporting a team that's pretty good with a few slightly dodgy players that have won a few things. Um, but it's, it's brilliant to see. Obviously, you know, I'm not old enough to to hop back to the to the days of... You know, the late 80s and that Liverpool team but uh, I think for people my age it is great to see well that's marvellous stuff and, and, and tell us a bit about yourself James this is your first time on Cop On Podcast but you've got your own podcast that's right yeah that's right um, I uh, produce and present um, along with my friend um, Alex a podcast called Rabonas and Rhythms um, it's a, actually a football and music podcast so we kind of don't don't go so in for the kind of punditry and commenting on on matches but we uh we tell football and music stories from around the world but um the listeners to this to this podcast might be interested to hear that we've actually introduced we've actually interviewed three liverpool legends um in the last few years we've we've had bruce grobelart on the show uh emil heskey actually that went out this week and also john arnorisa um so of course that we talked about some of the things in those players careers you know um uh, Anarisa, John Anarisa was talking about um, his bust up with Bellamy, which is really interesting. Bellamy sounds like an absolutely horrible person. Um, and uh, Heskey talks about the racism he suffered on England duty, which is obviously very uh, poignant at the moment, considering what happened in Bulgaria um, only just uh, just under a week ago now. Um, and um, but also we kind of cross over into kind of football and music. So Heskey talks about you know do you remember that DJ celebration? Um, he needs to have. He talks about kind of where that came from. Grobbala talks about kind of some of the music he's into from Zimbabwe and South Africa, um, stuff like that. So it's kind of a bit. Um, it's a bit different, I guess, for for a football podcast. But um, it's some, certainly something that your your listeners might might enjoy as well as obviously your brilliant podcast. Well, that's very kind to say brilliant, but uh, no, I mean, that sounds right up my proverbial alley. I would love to know Bruce Grobbler's, you know, his favourite tunes. It, it, I mean, I don't know if he mentioned the Green Arrows, which are my favourite sort of band from, from, I think they're from either Zimbabwe or South Africa. For, forgive my ignorance. Uh, do you know them, the Green Arrows? Very, very good knowledge. I, did, I didn't know of them and uh, he didn't mention them, but I'm sure he would, he would if, if we'd mentioned them in the interview, he would have known about them. He's quite into his music, actually. Um, and yeah, as you say, like really, you know, an interesting part of the world. And he talks about, you know, growing up there as a white Zimbabwean and, and that stuff. Um, and also, obviously, the, the, the controversy with the Bung um, uh, story and the fact that he was in court and, you know, uh, pretty much, you know, when I speak, when I mention him to people, they kind of think that he's this corrupt keeper who, who took a Bung. That's not yeah, actually nonsense. the case. Absolutely, you know, but he's still yeah. Exactly, but he's still tarred with that because because of the media story. So it just goes to show that, and that pretty much finished his career, really. So, yeah, it's really interesting to talk to him. Yeah, well, it sounds fascinating. I'll be downloading that right after we speak. Um, brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, do check that out, listeners. Rabonas and rhythms. Wonderful, wonderful name too. Yeah. Well, great one. Welcome to Cop On as well. It's great to have you on and hear your views. Four years of Jurgen Klopp. It's also been nine years of FSG. Brian, FSG, what do you reckon? Um, I am a huge, 
huge fan of FSG. Um, I remember when they first came in um, thinking, uh, we can't really compete with the cities of this world in terms of money, or we definitely couldn't back in those days anyway. Um, and we really need to be the smartest people in the room when it came to transfers, uh, commercial deals, etc. And after a, a tentative start, I suppose, because which you can forgive them for, because they you know they, they don't come from a footballing background. Uh, they got a few things wrong at the start with with uh, with uh, interactions with the fans and maybe hiring the wrong people. But then they found their feet. And since then, they've just played an absolute blinder. They've done everything they said they were going to do. Um, I mean, I don't think people probably forget about the, the stadium uh, extension. It was a, just a thing that was dragging out forever. And they said they were going to fix that. And they did. And it's done. And it's amazing. It's beautiful. Um, they hired, uh, they, they brought Klopp in. They, they brought Peter Moore in, which... Um, you know, uh, for the non-footballing people in the kind of business world, you know, <laughs> that guy has got some serious commercial chops. I mean, head of EA uh, before this. And uh, they've spent a lot of money, you know. They, they broke record after record on, on different players. And, uh, yeah, I really like them. They just seem like very, very smart people. And that's exactly what we needed to get back to the top. We needed to just outthink, outstrategize the other clubs around us. And uh, uh, Liverpool reminds me of Tottenham uh, a few years back. Tottenham kind of just creaked up out of nowhere, gradually, year and year, getting better and better and better. And then eventually they overtook us and we were kind of relegated to the also rounds and, uh, you know, sixth and seventh places for a while there. Um, and that's exactly what FSG have done. FSG have, have taken us from, you know, a club fighting to get into fourth position, maybe third, to, you know, second year in a row now. We're fighting for the league. We, we're the favourites uh, in Europe most times. We've been to three European finals in three years. Uh, I, I, I couldn't ask for, for better. And I prefer to have owners like them rather than some rich... Uh, uh, questionable money <laughs> from from. I mean, I suppose money is always questionable <laughs> if, you can, if, if there's enough of it. Um, but yeah, I I'm really happy with them. I think they've done a great job. Uh, yeah, wonderful answer. You're right to bring up the strategies and all their investments. Um, and uh, you know, they've done you know made some dodgy calls along the way, but they've got so much right. And I've, I'm I'm just sitting in front of a list that I pulled up of of Jurgen Klopp transfers. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp was probably the best transfer in the last 30 years or so because I think as a manager, he brings all the players together and the fans. Um, but, you know, his reign started with the signing of Marco Grujic. He still might make a, make an impact, we don't know. Stephen Corker. Ooh. Camille Grabara. Sadio Mane. This is in date order, right? Loris Carius, Matip and Ragnar Clavens after that. But Joel Matip on a free transfer, for example. Wonderful. Um, Ragnar, yes, we. I mean, King Ragnar, we can never forget. Alex Manninger, I had already forgotten about him. Uh, Vinaldum, this is where it gets really good. Then after Alex Manninger, Vinaldum, Salah, Solanke, Robertson, Chamberlain, Van Dyke, Cater, Fabinho, Shakiri, Alison Becker. And then that brings us into the summer where he just sort of, you know, half reinforced us with Sepp Vandenberg, Harvey Elliott, who looks like an absolute gem, Adrian San Miguel, who's got the best surname in football and is the best number two in football, and Andy Lonergan, who is the best number five keeper. And happy birthday to him if he's listening. Um, Tivia, FSG, Jurgen Klopp, we're in a happy place. We want this to continue forever, don't we? It's actually a dream, you know, for FSG, Liverpool and Klopp to continue with this club forever. But as we know, some, some things 
sometimes some things it won't last forever. So I think we have to be happy and we have to continue backing all these three important people in order to be a successful club in Europe. You know, I think for me, I for me, I'm less interested in FA, what FSG does, but the way that they believe and back club, I think that was the highlight of club's career in Liverpool. I think with their, you know, with their ability to cash in, to buy in, uh, to afford, I mean, to like give the club the place that he wants, you know, to transform this club into a successful one after years, I think we just have to give them credit. And I think club has just managed to, you know, pay, pay FSG back for their kindness, I think, by, by you know, reaching the final of the Champions League twice back-to-back and also now challenging for the Premier League title back-to-back. I think... It's just the belief that we have to have on people, on certain people, which will, you know, affect them moving forward. I think that's what FSG club has done to Liverpool. They they have brought the colourful days back to Liverpool. And I think that's what we are going to now enjoy now every moment. So I think it's just the belief. Absolutely. I love the term colourful days as well. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Karen, we've got Genk next. Um, what kind of team would, would you be looking at for, for the Genk match, Karen? Um, I think um, the next two games are very important for us to sort of, uh, uh, you know, think about how do we approach the next games of the Champions League. So um, if we, we have a we have a chance to rotate uh, the midfield. I want to I want to start Fabinho, Keita, and Oxley Chamberlain in this one, and give uh, Genie and Hindo rest. Uh, bring on Milner later and Shakiri, and uh, you know, um, just sort of uh, you know have fresh legs for for the next games. Um, I think we uh, the way we uh, got the victory against Salzburg uh, the last game. Uh, gives us a thought about how we should also uh, not underestimate the, uh, you know, the opposite team's attack and you know their game plan, and uh, we should be we should uh, learn to cover up those mistakes we did against Salzburg. So um, I would have the same back four, rotate in the midfield, and if Salah is back, then uh, have Salah, Mane, and uh, Firmino to start. Uh, but in these next two games against Genk, I would I would say that uh, let's just fire all cylinders, or if not, then just play very smart and very dominating, and you know uh, sort of use these games as a preparation for the games in the league. I think we play Tottenham and then we have Arsenal next, right? So we can use this game as a preparation for. Tottenham, and even though we will play youngsters in, in the League Cup against Arsenal, I want to see uh, a strong side because you cannot underestimate a side like Arsenal in the League Cup. So we can use this game uh, not just to get our tactics right again, but also to give our midfielders, other, you know, the other players to, to shine, as well as, uh, you know, uh, get sort of the winning run again. Fair enough, fair enough. That's, uh, you know, you've, you've argued your point very reasonably there. Um, Shane, uh, would you agree with that midfield of of Fabinho, Keita and Chamberlain and Oxley chamberlain Or, I don't know, when do we give Fabinho a rest? I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think it's definitely a possibility. I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, part of me thinks that Klopp might go with the same lineup that we saw uh today. I'm interested to hear about um, how Mo Salah is doing and what the timeline for him is, because um, I think he plays in a, a very, obviously, in a very, very, very important role for us, uh, and something that we actually missed today on the pitch uh, for what he brings. Um, 
I definitely think there might be some rotations, but it might be only one or two positions, but it might it might not be all in the midfield. I could definitely see uh, maybe if Dayon Lovren would get a chance uh, to play in at center back. Uh, Klopp likes what he brings sometimes, so I could definitely see maybe a change there and then uh, maybe a change with the forwards as well. Um, but yeah, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain could very well start, I think, based on his performance today, that he might have earned him a, uh, a starting position just to, just to see what we can do against gank um but again but on this uh it's almost a coin flip it's almost a coin toss of a 50 50 chance at the same time the lineups might come out and it might be the the same old the same lineup that we're that we're used to seeing and putting out our best players so um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna withhold judgment for the moment uh because klopp likes to Klopp likes to keep us guessing, and as he said per his press conference before this match, the less he, uh, everyone else knows about his lineups, the better he feels about it. So he's going to keep those cards very, very close to his chest. Excellent answer, and uh, you know the, the the positive thing about that um, is that you know these these players like like Lovren, uh, James Milner, you know they they come in and they. You know, he, Lovren was excellent against Leicester. I mean, we had two weeks to think about that performance. It was really, really good. Um, and, you know, in this happy place where we are, six points clear at the top, you just, uh, you would just back anybody. You would back the shack to come in from the cold and be at his power cue best, marauding down, getting a couple of deflected goals, sending the crowd wild. Um, Genk and Spurs, um, are we going to bounce back from this, from this, uh, you know, incredible result of just one point, uh, James, and are we going to get two victories? What do you think? I don't know, they're, they're, they're potential banana skins as well, these matches, I, I think, you know, Genk, decent team. I think Spurs are obviously in crisis, as Man United are really, but they they're still a good team and they'll be motivated against us so um I, I, i'd be tempted to to agree with shane perhaps stick with with the with the with the lineup um uh, and possibly introduce a few new players um to to, to shore it up i mean yeah i, I completely um agree that with with karen that, that it's, it would be brilliant to to bring in these the three that we talked we've talked about a lot you know the ox um uh, Lalana and um, and Kaita, and I really want to see them this season. But I think introducing them all at once might might be a, might be a problem. Yes, rhythm. Rhythm is a dancer, but rhythm is also one of Jurgen Klopp's favourite words. And uh, we, you know, we're gonna we're gonna need it for Genk and Spurs. Brian, what are your predictions? Do you reckon we're gonna, you know, I mean, Genk they they drew with Napoli. They they're no pushovers, right? Uh, no, they're not, but I I can't see us uh, getting anything but a win in that game. Anytime we've had a, a less than favourable result, um, we usually follow it up with a win straight away. And, uh, you know, points dropped today. I'm sure the team are not going to be happy about that. I think one thing that uh, today, uh, I just wanted to mention, the big thing about today, but getting that point, even though it's a point, it uh, it just stops the media machine uh, going into overdrive because if we had dropped points there today, that would have been it. We would have had, like, we've never heard the end of it from every source you could possibly think. So it kind of manages the momentum, you know, uh, in, in terms of the narrative and the story. And so now we can go, we can look forward to these two games now um, and enjoy them and then the, the game with, Arsenal is just like a bit of fun, right? You know, it's <laughs> the League Cup. We can we can rotate in both both games, and uh, I mean, because we're, we're all about the league uh, this season. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. You know, the league and and the Champions League. Um, uh, so yeah, I I I, I think Genk's, we, we're going to get three points there. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that game, and I, and I, I hope to see Navi Keita um, in that. Uh, in, in, the, in the starting lineup, because I think he is there or there, but just about ready to kind of really start his, his Liverpool career. I don't want to kind of jigs because we said that so many times about him, but uh, you're right. I mean, he's, he is the, he is the world-class 
football that we're we're all talking we need in the middle middle of the pitch. We he's already here. He's, he's it's Naby. Um, you know, every time he gets the ball, he 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 offers something totally different uh, than than the rest of the team. He goes straight. He always goes rather than pushing it side to side. He's looking for the forward pass. So uh, yeah, I hope the, there's a bit of rotation, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing that game. That's a great answer, and you're absolutely right about Cato. I 100% agree. I 100% agree. He's the guy that we need. He's the, you know, the 50 million pound midfielder to step in and uh, you know solve any issues that we have that we've, you know, we've we've mentioned throughout. Um, you know, tiny issues, little issues. This is Liverpool that have lost only once in 48 matches now, which is. Uh, Utterly ridiculous when you think about it. Um, thank you very, very much to all of you, uh, lady and gentlemen, uh, for joining me today uh, on this Cop On post-match uh, review. I do hope you've enjoyed it as a listener, And uh, but thanks to everybody joining. And uh, remember to listen to Rabonas and Rhythms, because that sounds absolutely like a marvellous podcast. So thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Oh, so there we are. Uh, thank you, dear listener, dear, dear, cherished, beautiful listener, for whom all of this is created. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at CopOnPodcast. You can send us your sonnets to CopOnPodcast at gmail.com. Or you can do what Stuart Braun has done and support us via Patreon.com forward slash CopOnPodcast. Thanks to Stuart and all our other Patreons. Thank you really means a lot. So as Jürgen's fiery chariot thunders across to Belgium in the Champions League before those not-so-hot spurs of London trot up to Anfield, us fans are left to wonder, can the Reds get back to winning ways? Hmm. All shall be revealed.